We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated on Fan Nation. We got a Wednesday edition of the podcast. If you're tuned in to the live show on YouTube, uh, Oregon Football, Max Torres, thank you guys so much for tuning in. It's been fun doing these and, and interacting with Duck fans more. And if you're watching on the replay or on or listening uh, on the uh, podcasting platforms, go ahead and drop me a comment and and let me know what you think about all this Oregon coaching search madness that's going on. Uh, team getting ready for the Alamo Bowl. We have recruiting uh, recruiting news to talk about. So there is just so much going on uh, inside the uh, around the world of Oregon football, and we get to talk about it today. Um, did a Twitter Spaces last night. Uh, if you're not following me there, then you definitely should at M Sports. That name right there on your screen. If you're here in the chat, and then if you're watching on the channel, go ahead and subscribe. Uh, it's been Really cool to do YouTube videos and, and do these live shows and see where your guys' heads are at. Uh, it only takes a second out of your day, and it uh, really, really is a tremendous help uh, for me trying to do my thing here covering the Oregon Ducks. So it's it's wild, right? I think that over these, uh, I don't know if I'd say 24 hours, but certainly the past 12 hours or so, I feel like um, we're starting to, to hear some more chatter. I know one thing that I wanted to get into off the top here was um, the reports that came out um, this morning from, from football scoop with, uh, saying that it looks like, uh, Tim Deruder is going to be heading over to Texas tech going out to Lubbock to become their new defensive coordinator. And then, uh, the athletics Bruce Feldman also reported that, um, uh, Marcel Yates, the Oregon safeties coach is going to be heading out to Lubbock as well to join the red Raiders. So, I, it's just crazy how fast everything is escalated, right? You look at Monday being the day that the Cristobal news became official. We've already seen three decommitments. Uh, and then we had the Moorhead news before that became official. Uh, Cristobal leaving, that is. So Moorhead's over at Akron. And then now you have the three most important hires to, to make within your program. You have the head coach, obviously, and then the OC and DC after that. So it's just shocking to me how quickly this is all escalated. I mean, you would expect it to happen from a uh, head coaching perspective when, when someone leaves, but um, that's what kind of made it so weird for me. Cause you know, a lot of you guys know that I'm one of the, the younger cats out here in the, in the Oregon media market. And Mario's the only coach that I ever covered. So um, it was definitely surreal watching that uh, introductory press conference yesterday uh, at Miami. I was watching that on, uh, on their Twitter page and I just couldn't help but think for a second, is this really happening? Like I was just covering a game that he coached in on Friday and in the press conference uh, that followed that um, where he was sitting in front of us and he was, he was wearing the, the Oregon O and um, yeah, that'd be, I mean, it, it was just wild to see that he's all the way across the country now um, back, back home in Miami. And, and he's got the, He's got the reins over there, and I, I feel like, I mean, it's he's he's gonna turn. I think that he's probably gonna turn that program around. I feel like I'm pretty confident in saying that. If, if you look at, uh, he's already making recruiting visits, seeing some targets, um, and I, I think that that uh, it's gonna be fun to, to follow at the very least. You know, whatever your whatever your thoughts are on him, um, I think that it's it's. It, I'm just excited to see what he does and how that program turns around because Clemson had a down year. 
North Carolina was a total disappointment. So it feels like the ACC is pretty open for the taking. And I can see that that would maybe be part of the factor of uh, why this all, you know, why the timing uh, felt right. Um, all right. So, yeah, if you guys have questions, go ahead and throw them in the in the chat and, and I'll try to uh, get to them as, uh, as quickly as I can. You know, can't get to all of them necessarily. Or if you just have some comments, whatever's on your mind to guide the discussion, then we can certainly do that. Question coming from Chunky Monkey. Would have would have Moorhead had been promoted to head coach if he didn't leave? Um, I think that's a cert that's certainly a, an interesting um, you know hypothetical to ask yourself because obviously he he had head coaching experience at Mississippi State before he came over to Oregon. Uh, Mississippi State didn't do the best that year, um, if I can remember. I'm trying to think of what his record was, um, and when. Morehead, what their record was when Morehead was the head coach. So let me let me see and look that up. Um, okay, 2018, 2019. State schedule 2018. So let's see how they did in uh, 2018. We had yeah, they went they went 0 and 5 overall. Why does that seem like it's not that many games? Oh, all wins during the 2018 season were vacated by NCAA committee on infractions. So that is not something that I was aware of. So a little hard to a uh, little, little hard to, to judge the, the 2018 season, right? Um, maybe we can go to 2019 and see what that was looking like. All right. So 2019 season, they went six and seven, three and five in the SEC. Um, and let's see some of their, some of their wins. Trying to think of what their notable wins were. Oh man, yeah, that was just not a good. They, they beat Ole Miss by one point, and they lost to Louisville in the Music City Bowl, and then they got ran by Bama, uh, beat pretty handily by Texas A&M, uh, ran by LSU, destroyed by Auburn. Well, yeah, that was a, an ugly season. But I don't know how much you can, how much stock you can put into, you know, just a, a short, such a short coaching stint um, as a head coach, but. I think he sure he certainly would have been in the conversation, right? I th I think that if you're looking at what the staff was like before the crystal ball news broke, um, I think that he was probably the most appealing name uh, with the, uh, if you wanted to promote from within, looking at the people who were already on the staff. So I think that um, I don't know if he would have been promoted. I, I'm because I just feel like, you know. Mm, I don't know. It's, it's just hard to get a finger on how, how big of a recruiter he was and, and how that kind of played into it. But the reason I think that he would definitely be one of the better candidates if, if they were going to promote within is because of that offensive ingenuity, right? You know, I think most people are pretty sold right now that, that their next hire should be an offensive guy unless they end up getting Dave Aranda, um, which is, is going to be um, pretty difficult right now. But as, as of the time that we're recording this, uh, 2.37 p.m., Wednesday, December eighth, on the on the West Coast. I don't think that Aranda has signed his contract. Excuse me. I don't think that Aranda has signed a contract extension um, with with Baylor. So I think he's obviously a, a big name to follow here as as things as things head up uh, heat up here. Um, let's see. Yeah, you know, Mikey G saying that some of his dusted he he may still be offered. They would buyout from Akron, Akron, that would be insane. Um, I, th I think that, yeah, I mean, you're looking at a program like Akron, I don't think that a, a buyout would be too crazy, right? You know, it's not like a big, big name program. Um, so I feel like I'd be pretty confident that that Oregon could buy that out. Um, and then question, follow up question from Mikey G. Are there any head coach, offensive coach pairings that make a better hire as a whole versus just a big head coach? Um, I think, that's a good question. So I, th I think he's, he's getting that, you know, if you bring in a big head coach, is that going to be more effective than, or can a pairing, I guess, between a head coach and an offensive coordinator make it more effective? I think is kind of what, what he's getting at here. Um, you know, this is the, the first coaching search that I've covered. So, you know, I'm, I'm still obviously learning a lot, kind of like I, I alluded to uh, at the top here in the show, but I think if you can get the right guy, two guys that work in tandem together, you know, maybe they coach together, uh, at the last stop, that's kind of what happens when head coaches get hired away is, you know, we're seeing it at Washington right now, right? You know, DeBoer is bringing over a lot of his guys from Fresno State. Um, I think that it 
if that were to happen at Oregon or, you know, anywhere, uh, a head coach and OC pairing, I feel like it's kind of an opportunity for some continuity, I would think, or it would maybe on the surface, at least give me, give me more confidence um, about whatever product you saw in the field at their last stop, maybe carrying over a little bit more, right? Cause you don't have to, you don't have to mesh with new people. Um, you're probably going to have the same offense in place, a lot of the same system, um, that familiarity is there. So I think that you have that, you know, that kind of opportunity for some continuity and, and um, some, some kind of assuredness, I guess. But if you bring in the right head coach who is maybe a great offensive mind in their own right, then you also have to take into account how are they going to build out their staff? That's why, that's why this is so interesting in part, you know, among a myriad of other reasons is because it's just such a big puzzle. There's so many different parts to this equation. And, and the fact that it's all looking like it's, it's it has to happen in, in such a short span of time is, is what I think makes it so interesting um, to follow, just to see a, a premier program in college football, at least a premier brand in college athletics like Oregon going through this right now after beating Ohio state. I mean, could you, could you, do you think you could tell yourself after the ducks beat Ohio state? Like if you just rewind a little bit, I, I, I find it, it would be hard to think that back then it's like, yeah, you know, man, I hope, I hope we don't, uh, the ducks don't lose their coach uh, at the end of the season. You know, I feel like that win over Ohio state had so many people just hopeful for the future and, and seeing that there was the potential for, for even greater long-term success because even though the the higher um even though the the season was seasons season as a whole was was kind of a mixed bag in terms of highs and lows um i think that it was still overall you know pretty pretty solid um let's see with the ability to hire within when all right my Mikey, Mikey G says, not just continuity, but the and the ability to hire within when, if not, the next head coach leaves. Oh, okay. So I think you're maybe you're getting at if you hire from within, um, then you're going to see some continuity within there. Um, sorry if I'm not understanding your point. I'm trying to as best I can here. But yeah, if, then if the next head coach leaves, then you'll have somebody as an, okay. Okay. So you hire the head coach and offensive coordinator pair. And then they come in and then if the head coach leaves, then you have the offensive coordinator. That's, that's kind of there ready to uh, take over the reins, I think is, uh, is kind of what, what you're getting at there, Mikey. Um, so I think, yeah, that, that I, I see that point a, a lot more now, because I feel like the a big part of the equation that people are talking about is, is if you want to go for the long-term solution um, or the, the splash hire, right. That's kind of a, a big thing that we keep hearing about in these discussions. So I'm personally of the belief, the more that I think about it, that you need to go for the splash hire because the, uh, the national championship window in a lot of ways, I feel like it's, it's, I don't want to say open, but it feels like it's promising at least for Oregon, just because of the talent that they have on the roster. Um, and at the same time, it feels like it's still kind of far away just when you're looking at um, how the SEC is is dominating, but at this, but you gotta you gotta win the Pac-12. You know that's obviously the the prereq here. And I think another reason that the splash hire needs to happen now is even though Cristobal is gone and all these staffers are leaving, Mario had a great point on his exit interview. You know, there's three top ten classes on the roster right now, and their best football is ahead of them. If they make a long term hire who isn't good at recruiting, how do you know how long is it going to take? How, how could we possibly know how long it's going to take to get this kind of talent back on the roster uh, in the near future? So I feel like if you if you get a big name that uh, can can really utilize that talent, a, a, a strong offensive mind, then I think that that would be really helpful. And then let's see. Um, all right, Chunky Monkey is saying, I'm, I'm not sure if Lane is a good fit. When he was at USC, there were reports of him being toxic and immature. Paul Feinbaum did say he has matured since then. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's, it's you know, I've, Lane Kiffin has been, I don't want to say it's the biggest name trending for Oregon right now, but if you're on Duck Twitter, you know that that's probably the biggest name that all the Oregon fans are talking about right now, whether it's criticizing that idea or, 
you know, looking at it as a, as a possibility for Oregon as they're navigating this coaching search. And, you know, the, the fact that he, he went through Alabama and, and got to learn under Saban is, is definitely encouraging because, you know, that's the, the gold standard of football, right? So you figure that that would be, be a good sign, but I think that's probably why some fans might be hesitant or think that Oregon would be hesitant to, to hire a guy like Lane Kiffin. Um, so I, I think that he's certainly an, an exciting guy that would do things his way. Right. You know, he's, I think with Mario, when you're looking at how he handled things, he was, you know, very, very proper, organized, disciplined, said all the right things for the most part in, in press conferences. And, and I feel like Lane's just, you know, he's a kind of an unapologetic guy. I feel like he's, you know, this is this I'm Lane. This is what you got. And, um, and this is kind of, this is me. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna apologize for, for what I'm, what, how I'm acting or, or what I'm putting out there on the field. And that, that's just what you get. You know, what you see is what you get. I feel like that's probably the good, the best way to put it, but I think he's probably the most exciting offensive guy out there right now. You know, Joe Brady would obviously be another guy in that conversation um, that, that I think would, would drum up some excitement. I feel like I, I keep saying that all the time. So maybe I have to find a better way to say this, but yeah, the, the, the Lane Kiffin train has, uh, has definitely picked up some steam, at least among the Oregon fans. Tyler two chains says Dan Mullen. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Man, Florida was so bad this year. And that was a guy that, that showed he can't, re- if you can't recruit in Florida, at the University of Florida, I don't know how much confidence that you have bringing him out here to the West Coast. I mean, I know he he has a, you know, he has a, a track record as a as a good offensive mind, but it's it's I feel like that's not the best direction for Oregon to go here, especially because you you see kind of his body of work and and what he's done as a head coach. Although Mississippi State was pretty successful when he was there with with Dak, so maybe you're kind of looking at this like what would he do if um if he got to work with a guy like a Ty Thompson or, or any other quarterback or a Robbie Ashford or a Jay Butterfield, or if they bring in a, another quarterback, I think that's obviously, that's a huge part of the discussion that we're having, right? You know, Oregon is looking to bring in a, their head coach, but you got to think, especially to go offense here, what, what is the, what is that coach going to have to work with as far as the, the talent on the roster? Um, and we, we've only seen one transfer so far since the, the Mario move became official. That's kicker Henry Cattleman uh, announcing that he's going to be moving on to his next stop. That was uh, Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday, kind of early evening hours, I guess you could say. So that's that's another part because they want to get a guy in here so that the, the current players are aware of kind of what's happening here. Obviously, all the people uh, that are, you know, recruiting fans, you know, that's that's what I really enjoy doing. They're one. They're worried about that and, and asking about that, but you got to make sure that you get a guy in place so that these current players know what's going on. Um, and the longer it takes, I guess, the more uncertainty that you have. Uh, I don't know. That's uh, that's that's an interesting one to uh, to to think about here. Dan Mullen, I think, because I had Dan Mullen as a guy on the offensive coordinator hot board, but I, I hadn't really considered him too much for a, a head coaching job because. You obviously, like I said, you see how things went at Florida and you think, okay, maybe as a step back to just calling plays and, and just being an OC, kind of what he needs, would that be good for him? Or do you take a gamble on him running the program? That's why I feel like even though, you know, Kiffin doesn't have the best pass per se, he is running that, that program pretty well at, at Ole Miss. So I think that gives you some confidence from uh, that perspective. Um, let's see. Have you been able to reach out to any of the commits to see where their heads are at? Yeah, I've I've talked to a, a few commits to kind of check out, you know, what what things are, where they're at right now. You know, I talked to Jaleel Florence and and I got an update on him up over on Ducks Digest that I think people should should definitely read. And I feel like you know after what I heard from him as far as you know USC goes, you know the the, the Oklahoma staff that that is coming over to 
to USC. They're they're really selling the vision and talking about getting LA going again and getting SC being that premier brand kind of a deal. And yeah, it's a lot of these guys, I feel like they're, they're just in limbo. That's the the biggest thing I can kind of say right now. You know, I have an update on, on TJ Dudley who, who just decommitted um, yesterday. So, or sorry, a couple days ago, I believe it was um, because yeah, he was one of the first guys to decommit after uh, Tanner Bailey. So he's a, he, it sounded like he was basically saying that a lot of these commits kind of saw it coming because, you know, these guys, they get a group chat going and, um, you know, they're all talking to each other. And he was saying that, you know, some of the commits had kind of been talking about it um, among the group so that they, they saw that it was kind of a possibility um, that this might happen. And he was saying, you know, there's no no love lost or anything, you know, nothing but love for Cristobal. He just had to be with his family and, and do what was best for him is more or less what Dudley was saying. Um but it's it uh, you got to figure that the the recruiting ties in, in the south are definitely going to take a hit. But um, when I was talking to Florence, I should say, um, because I know he he's getting mentioned here in the comments a little bit. He I asked him about Tucker, and he was saying he's basically in the same deal uh, right now. You know, those guys are obviously really close friends, and and it looks like they're probably going to end up playing uh, college ball uh, together. So I think USC has as much momentum as as anybody right now uh, on the recruiting trail and. And I feel like they could, um, they could definitely, you know, grab some guys here before the early signing period begins. Um, so I don't want to say that any any Oregon commits are necessarily trending toward SC, but the the uncertainty that this move created is obviously uh, obviously not ideal for um, for the Ducks. Vincent says Ordron is getting paid sixteen point eight million dollars over the next four years. I doubt he jumps back into coaching right away. All he has to do is make one appearance a year at LSU to get his buyout. Yeah, that that was so weird that that happened midseason um, for for Orgeron at, at LSU. And I think that even though he's getting paid a lot of money, you got to think that these head coaches are competitors at the end of the day. So even if he is making a lot of money and he doesn't really have to do anything, maybe he wants he just wants to get back into coaching and, and compete and and you know lead a football team um or at least be involved i don't know if if he would be a, a fit at oregon necessarily um but obviously he he knows what he's doing after winning the pac 12 or gosh a national championship excuse me uh with the tigers with one of the best college football teams that we've uh, ever seen let's see here um let's see what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on this Taki interview? Yeah, so there was there was a report out there that Taki got uh, brought in, um, and you know I I, I was kind of hearing that there's been some whispers that it, it didn't it didn't go so well. Um, so and that was a little shocking because I feel like he's um he's he's a, a big name right now and and the BYU program is is doing really well, um, but he's a BYU guy. And I wonder, I feel like because he came into interview, um, you know, reportedly came into interview, it's like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Sataki because I, I feel like I need to dig into him a little bit more and, and kind of see um, what, what he's been able to do at BYU. And maybe he's just going to stay in BYU, at BYU because the, because BYU is going to the big 12. So I think that, their ascension is really good for the Big 12 right now. The Big 12 feels like it's pretty wide open, um, especially with Aranda doing good things at Baylor. Um, and uh, sorry, I just had a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a brain fart. I feel like BYU's positioned to, to be pretty competitive in the Big 12, and and Cincinnati is obviously going to be there as well. Um, and it. I, I mean, maybe it'll be more competitive than the Pac-12 um, once once all those teams come together. I can't remember uh, what year the that move to the Big 12 becomes official. If anybody remembers that, definitely uh, throw it in the comments um, and see what uh, what we can find out there. Oregon Duck says Kiffin equals playoffs year one. Wow, that's um that's pretty wishful thinking. But I mean, for it to go that well, but I think there is a lot of offensive talent on this roster right now. Um, you know, you got pretty much everybody coming back, uh, from the O line 
that I think is obviously a, a good sign. So whoever plays quarterback, you got to feel that they're going into a good situation just from the the talent that they have to work with, right? You know, you have three high school Americans that are still obviously very young and Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, and Isaiah Brevard. Chris Hudson was really, really doing well for the Ducks um, towards the, the end of the season, their regular season, I should say. So he's emerged. Devin Williams, we got to see what happens with uh, with his decision. Um, he's probably the, the biggest name on offense to watch as far as maybe trying to go to the NFL because I, I know Forsyth said that he's already coming back. And then um, I don't know how many NFL looks the, the offensive linemen are going to get. So, so I think that there's definitely some potential there. And I think that the, the quarterback for next year, I think that you got You want to try to take a quarterback in the transfer portal, because even if Ty Thompson's the guy, you, you don't have any proven, proven depth uh, behind him. So for, for, if I'm an offensive minded head coach, I'm, I'm looking at this team and I'm really excited at uh, what, what there is to work with right now. And, and then if you bring in a guy like Kiffin, then, even though he may not be the best recruiter, I was having a conversation with someone earlier today and I was saying, even if Kiffin's not the best recruiter necessarily, I think his name does the recruiting, right? You know, his body of work does the recruiting for him. So it's, it's just crazy to think about how big of a moment this is for the program because you want someone, because you've seen these past couple coaches leave, you want somebody that maybe looks more promising for longevity. But like I said earlier, I feel like, you want to go for that splash hire that that would get you, you know, get you in the playoffs as as soon as possible. All right. This uh, next question is from Family Berliner. Thanks for the question and thanks for watching the show. Better fit for Oregon head coach moving forward, offensive minded coach or defensive minded? Um, yeah, this this is something that uh, has been brought up a, a couple times. You know, just a lot of people are asking it. Uh, you know, across the Oregon fan base. Um, it's, it's an interesting question because I feel like on the one hand, Oregon's offense has been its identity. You look at when it's ascended to the, I don't want to say the top of the sport, but very near the top of the sport. It was really about the offense. When they went to the playoffs uh, against Florida State and then obviously against Ohio State National Championship, their, uh, their defense wasn't anything super, super special. It was, you know, Marcus Mariota and Royce Freeman and Darren Carrington, Farrell Brown, Devin Allen, you know, those were the names that that were really making that thing go. And and um, we've seen, look at the college football landscape. It's not necessarily the the great defenses that that are winning the championships. Sure, Georgia is Georgia is what they are. Georgia's crazy. Like they're just insane. But at the same time, look at them in the SEC championship game. Alabama made them look mortal and they exploited them. But how much of that can you attribute to Nick Saban? And, you know, the adjustments that he's able to make, I think that's a question that you can ask. But all the best teams in college football now can put up points and put up points in a hurry. So I think that I think that um, going for an offensive mind minded coach makes sense. And then when Oregon was just really, really good, I want to say this year, but it obviously hasn't been that consistent. But look at 2019 when Nandy Avalos had that uh, that defense humming and they were among the best in the country. So I, I can see the argument for both, but I think a majority of people probably go with with offensive minded. That's why it's so uh, it's so curious what what would things look like with uh, Dave Aranda? Um, yes, Junkie Monkey, the Ducks did go to the national championship with Chip. Um, that's a good point, but um, yeah, we I don't want to bounce all over the place too much. Um, but if you bring in a guy like Aranda then you got to watch those, how he builds out his staff really closely. Uh, is he, cause he would have to bring in a, a really good offensive mind and someone that he's confident that you're confident in can, uh, can run the offense really well. Because I think that was probably, you know, part of the big problem with crystal ball as the coach is that you saw that he was putting his foot down and, and not letting Moorhead have full control of the offense. I think that's really evident for anybody that was watching this team, you know, the, the, the vanilla offense that they were calling it sometimes just the lack of creativity. Um, I think that was, that's definitely not something that you would attribute to Joe Moorhead. So I'm going to go offensive minded coach. I think that's what makes the most sense. I think something to consider, this is from Joseph. I think something to consider is that we lost, lost both of our coordinators. Coordinator candidates want to go somewhere that they can learn from an established and proven head coach. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good point. And he says, he continued and he said, if we hire a Wilcox or a Sataki, I guarantee 
we don't draw interest from a high from high profile coordinators that can make a huge difference for this team. Yeah, so I think that that kind of goes back to the point of you want to get uh, someone who's maybe a little bit more proven as a head coach, right? You know, someone that that can attract those high level coordinators um, that that people want to work with because they know that if they go to you know learn under that coach, then they can hopefully do well not only as a coordinator but learn more about what it takes to to run a team to run a program and get to that next level um i think another dynamic that's really um interesting in all of this is um college versus nfl just desire for a lot of these guys um you know some people um you know you look at lincoln riley right he's obviously been at the college level forever and and people people were wondering kind of how much he weighed the nfl but clearly he's he's a college guy and he's going to be staying in the college ranks for a while. At least that's what it looks like. Versus a guy like Matt Rule, who was uh, at Baylor not too long ago, and, and he took that step to um, you know lead the Panthers. And the Panthers obviously aren't doing too well right now. But I think that's something that's hard to figure out unless it's made public. You know how much a guy wants to be in college versus the NFL, or if they're in the NFL, do they want to come back down to the college level? And you know, do they view that as a a step down, which it literally is, but not so much in the negative way, right? You know, if you come down from the college ranks to, to lead a program, the NFL ranks, rather, if you come down from the NFL ranks to lead a program, then I think that that's, um, that's you know, that that's a program showing confidence in you. And, and that's a good thing at, at the end of the day. Uh, next question. How do you think a new head coaching hire will affect season ticket sales? Is that a concern for the school at all? Uh, that's a good question because I feel like when we've seen the, I think I've seen some pretty, pretty cool stuff over uh, Twitter because I put something out the other day. I was saying, hey, like I'm seeing people, and I said this on yesterday's show. I said I'm seeing people um, maybe calling for support of Justin Wilcox as the next head coach, and I think somebody responded to me and said, if, if Justin Wilcox gets hired, I'm going to turn in my season tickets. So that. I think that's a um, you know a dynamic that that Oregon has to to deal with as well because um, you think about Autzen Stadium and it's the best home field advantage in the Pac-12 for sure. Um, that's what Rob Mullins was saying as far as you know when I asked him what did you learn about these past coaching uh, searches and he was saying I I understand that and I learned that the Oregon coaching uh, position is is in the Oregon football program is is uh, basically just awesome. And, and it's going to be a job that a lot of people want. He was saying his phone's blowing up and there's no shortage of interest. So I think that that is a concern for, for the school, but at the same time, you're not, it would just further support making the splash higher. Right. Um, you know, if, if they hire a guy that is a little bit more safe or just, you know, looking for that longevity, I, I don't know. I don't know how that affects the, the ticket sales. Uh, I think that it's uh, something to think about. Gary Chadwick question is what about Kyle Whittingham? I, I love Kyle Whittingham as a coach, uh, obviously not a, a person that a lot of Oregon fans like of late um, given the, the couple beatdowns that he put on the ducks lately, but that's a guy who clearly knows how to develop talent. Um, definitely a, an asset and, and a plus in game coach. Um, Utah starting to get some recruits. So he, he's a guy that I feel like, you know, what, what would he look like at Oregon if he had the resources, if, if he had the branding behind him and, and the backing that, that Mario had, I think that'd be interesting because he obviously he doesn't have an established, uh, you know, reputation as a recruiter, but he's definitely one of the best coaches in the country. He was the, you know, PAC 12 coach of the year, but there's been, uh, there's been chatter that he's thinking about retiring after the Rose bowl, but I don't know. You could think of that two ways. You know, what if they win the Rose bowl over Ohio state and he says, you know, Hey, let's take a step back let's um you know just take take this for what it was and and that's a good way to go out right or if they play ohio state close and they lose and that just makes him more hungry i don't know because let me see how old kyle whittingham is i think that um obviously that's something to consider here when we're looking at retirement he's only 62 and he's a california guy who says he's from san luis obispo so that would kind of fit what people are asking about with the um the west west coast ties I think at the end of the day, though, no matter who Oregon goes with, it's there, there's not going to be a guy that checks every single box that the Oregon fan base wants, and and I think that um, that's that's something um, that needs to be considered. Let's see. Um, <clears throat> looking through these questions. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Todd, thanks for your comment. Phil Knight doesn't have a lot of years to enjoy Oregon football. No sense getting Kelly, Wilcox, Sataki, guys that will give us eight wins. See, that that's an interesting thing to consider because, um, you know, I feel like even – so he's 83, um, and, you know, obviously that's getting up there in age, but I feel like the support from Nike is still going to come, um, obviously, even even after he uh, he passes on, but – who knows how much of a priority it really is for Phil Knight to win a national championship. Obviously, if you pour the kind of money that he has poured into, um, into Oregon, you're going to want to see some results, right? You know, you would, you would definitely expect that, but um, he's already built a huge brand that's, you know, tied in directly with the university. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just another dynamic here. So that's just more reason why you think you need to, I agree with what you're saying, Todd, you know, they got, they got to make the, uh, the splash hire. I don't think that Chip Kelly would, it'd be exciting, like, you know, writing the storylines um, for, for, you know, Kelly comes back to Oregon and, and looks to, I mean, you can't say reestablish because they're already uh, one of the top teams in the PAC 12, but I just haven't been super impressed with what he's done um, at, at UCLA. And we know that he's not a big recruiter. So then there would be, huge, huge pressure on the coordinators to, to, in the assistance to be, you know, elite level recruiters. So I think that this is definitely another, another good talking point to, um, to think about here. Um, all right. Question from Michael O'Brien shout out. That's, that's one of my, one of my homies. Uh, how much influence do you think Nike has on this next hire? Um, I mean, I don't know how much Nike has specifically, but, you got to figure that Phil Knight's in a lot of these meetings talking with, uh, you know, the Oregon boosters and, and the uh, high level execs and the brass at Oregon. Um, it's, it's probably got to be a hire that, that they're going to uh, sign off on. I think I saw a comment that said, you know, you got to throw a hundred million dollars. Yeah. Todd, Todd's question, Todd's comment, spend a hundred million dollars and get it done. I mean, it's tough because pe- people talk about obviously how, how big money is, uh, how big of a factor money is in, in these equations. But the thing that I think needs to be known and understood is that just because Oregon has all the backing from, from Nike, like Phil Knight being the number one booster, I don't think it matches necessarily the, 
the booster programs and, and the, the financial resources that some of these bigger name programs have out in the SEC and the Big Ten, because to a degree, you could say those programs, since they've won national championships, people are, are more likely to donate. Um, and I, I just feel like the more that I'm thinking about it, it seems like, uh, you know, Oregon's just at a disadvantage geographically because they're, they're not other than Los Angeles and people and, you know, the States in Cal, the state of California. Um, that's tough because these, all these other programs, all the SEC, they have people in their backyard and, and other, and it's way easier for these recruits to take trips than to come all the way across the country to Oregon. So I don't think that it's, I'm not trying to say that Oregon can't win a national championship. I just feel like that's another barrier that, that I'm um, kind of coming up on as I, as I think about these questions and, and kind of what the future of the program looks like, you know, um, it's so much easier for a recruit in Texas to just say, Hey, I'm going to go up the road. I remember when I was at DeSoto and I was talking to these guys and they're like, Oh yeah, I had a game on Friday and I'm just going to go to A&M tomorrow, or I'm going to go to UT tomorrow. There's, there's no one near Oregon that typically that is usually a, a very, very high level recruit. You know, there are talented guys in Oregon, but it's pales in comparison to, to most of the rest of the country. Um, all right, let's go hide the comment here. Um, <clears throat> all right, let's see what else we got here. Um, Radio 601, uh, you can't win a national championship overnight. Takes at least two to three years. That's, yeah, that's that's a good point. I think that's why uh, the recruiting part of this is, is so important because you want a guy that is going to be able to keep bringing in high-level players. That's why I felt like I didn't think Oregon was going to win a national championship this year. I thought that they were going to be, you know, pretty competitive as a team overall, but I still feel like they needed to have two or three top-level recruiting classes Um you know, to, to add to the roster, you know, that's why Oregon to, to be a national championship contender. I don't think it's a secret that, that you need to live in, in those top five rankings at the end of every recruiting cycle. Um, so they, you just got to keep, you got to keep hammering recruiting. And I, I don't, it's going to be so hard for someone that comes in after Mario to, to match his level of recruiting. So you just got to be realistic in that sense. Um, so I, I feel like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta build, but at the same time, I think that there is enough talent on this roster as we've clearly seen, there's enough talent on this roster to compete for a national championship and to be in the conversation of, of being a playoff contender as, as soon as next year. Um, but we have to see who comes in to be the head coach, what kind of assistance they bring in, what kind of attrition we see on the recruiting trail, how they can make up for that attrition and then what, who we see leave the program in the transfer portal because the transfer portal is absolutely booming right now. Um, Alyssa Shaw asks, what about the Utah defensive coordinator? I think I saw his name in, um, in the uh, comments the other day on the last show that it was a Utah fan that was in the chat, you know, came to hang out for a little bit. We love having a, uh, we love having another Pac-12 fans come in because it's all it's all you know interconnected here, um, and they're saying you know stay away from the stay away from the uh, you, the DC. I'm just forgetting his name right now, so give me a second while I uh, while I look it up here. Okay, um, Morgan Scally, Scaly, I think it's Scally. Um, yeah, I mean especially if if uh, Whittingham does end up retiring, like you know some people are are whispering right now. There's whispers about that. Um, then maybe you look at, at a guy like him, but at the same time, if you're looking at his situation, I'm looking at his bio right now. It says this is his 14th year overall as a Utah assistant. So I think that that's probably somebody that Whittingham was, was probably grooming to, to be a head coach. Um, if he does end up retiring or, or going somewhere else. So Utah has obviously been one of the best defenses in the PAC 12 for a couple of years now. And, and I think that it could be a, a name to look into. Tony asks, think they'd go after Dabo Sweeney or even go after Lane Kiffin. Yeah, we've talked at, we talked about Kiffin, you know, pretty extensively so far um, in this episode of the podcast. And I talked a lot about him uh, last night in my Twitter spaces. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about maybe doing one of those tonight. Just got to see how the rest of the day looks. But that, that I mean, Dabo, Dabo would be a cool guy to go after. Um, it's just, you can't, it kind of just goes back to what I was saying about how it would be hard to get someone that, 
is going to check all those boxes because that's a huge name. I, I feel like I don't think he would come right now. He's probably a guy that the timing isn't super right for him because after you have a down year, if, if, if I, you know, if you're a competitor and you have a down year, I feel like, especially for Clemson, right? Clemson's a really special situation because they they've been in that playoff conversation that they've won national national titles recently. I think you probably have to have multiple down years before he looks at maybe going somewhere else. And a lot of people think that the only job that he'd listen to is, is Alabama seeing that he's from Birmingham. So I can see the, I can see the potential there. I don't think that he's a name that, that they're, that they're going to go after right now, but, um, but yeah, you know, they're, they're not doing too great. So I can see why people would maybe think that he would uh, at least listen to Oregon in that, in that situation. headline for Kelly after two years will be Kelly does less with more. Um, let's see. Arch Manning to Oregon could start 2023 as a redshirt sophomore after Thompson or Ashford man. Arch Manning is, is he's, there's just so much talk about him and he's only a 2023 guy. I don't think he's coming to Oregon, you know, obviously with, with them uh, needing to figure out this head coaching situation. Uh, maybe I revisit this after, after uh, Oregon makes their hire, um, and, you know, I'm, I think that some of the programs that we're hearing about with with him are, are, are obviously Tennessee and Texas. Some of those uh, really storied programs, and then and maybe even Ole Miss as well. Obviously, with Eli going there, and there's family ties there, and, and at Tennessee, so probably a bit of a, a bit of a long shot right now. Let's see. Yeah, Dabo's waiting for Saban to retire so he can go to Alabama where he played. That's his dream job. That's what Vincent's saying here. Let's see if I can get to uh, some of these other some of these other questions here. Um, this person says on Dretsky, hopefully I'm saying that right, must hire a head coach with a lot of head coaching experience. You know, Rob Mullins was saying that he's looking for a guy with a lot of experience, but we don't know whether that means as a, a head coach necessarily, or if that means as a coordinator. Um, you know, you obviously want a guy who who's proven at the college level, but um, yeah, it's just, it's tough to, to, to make the risky hire right now because it's, it's such a, a big job, but I think that you just got to pull out all the stops because I'd rather they go for the splash hire and then it doesn't work. And you're in the market again for a head coach in the coaching carousel in two years, then go for a safe hire. Who's going to, you know, win you eight or nine games every year and just be kind of okay. And then that's what you're saying is, you know, the standard for Oregon that you're okay going eight, nine wins a season. So I think that you definitely value that when you're looking for your next head coach, a guy who has a lot of experience, uh, definitely an added bonus. If, if he has some experience in the NFL, I've, I've said that, you know, a couple of times now on these past couple of lives and, and uh, po- episodes of the podcast that you want a guy that um, it's, it's only going to help you if you have a guy that has NFL experience, because so many of these people, so many of these recruits, I should say uh, are looking to get to the next level. And I think that, Part of me feels like in order to get back to the national championship or be in the playoffs, I think Oregon needs to to put out more NFL draft picks, which means they have to raise the caliber of player they're getting even more. Because you see these teams like, like Notre Dame are putting a lot of guys out uh, every year. Um, you know, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, you know, those, those are schools that are recruiting at a really, really high level. And then they're developing their talent. I think that's another question too, just when we're kind of looking at this conversation is, is development. I feel like it's hard to say too much about how do you guys feel like uh, Mario did as a developer of talent? Because to a degree, I feel like you can put it on him because he's the one who hired the rest of his staff, but at the same time, he's an O-line guy. So how, how much development can you expect from him with, with regard to other positions? Like I look like a guy, look at a guy like, um, Mikel Wright, who who has been a, a really good contributor for Oregon, but I feel like he's maybe looking like someone who could be more likely to come back next year because he didn't have the best season as a as a cornerback. Um, so that that'd be something I'm I'm uh, curious to ask about. Um, you know, do you think that how much how do you evaluate Mario as a as a developer of talent? Because since he came to Oregon, they obviously have Panay. Uh, being a first rounder coming out of here, you have Herbert being a first rounder coming out of here. KT is going to be a first rounder coming out of here, but all the best programs have he 
all the pro- best programs have multiple first rounders, you know, pretty much uh, coming out every year. Uh, Nick, his question is, Max, in your opinion, will we have a coach before signing day? Um, I, I think they will. What, whether, whether that makes sense as far as rushing into it is another thing. I, I think that they are going to have um, a coach before signing day. Uh, that's the 15th, uh, a week from today on Wednesday. Um, I think that uh, that that kind of comes into into play here. But like I said, you, you don't want to make a, a hire just to to get somebody for to help keep these guys in um, in the fold for 2022. I think that with regard to signing day, I think that whoever comes in, you definitely want them to to retain Brian McClendon. I think he's obviously a super valuable name to super valuable coach to this uh, program. I feel like he's one of the best developers of wide receiver talent in the country. We've, we've seen that. Um, and I feel like we really haven't gotten to see the full potential of these wide receivers because of the inconsistent quarterback play that we've had in the past two years. So, you know, Mario's brought in McClendon, who's done a phenomenal job bringing in really talented wide receivers, but we just haven't seen them developed and, and utilized. I shouldn't say developed because they could run all the routes they want, but if they're not getting the ball, then, how can you really, you know, tell where they're at? All right, let's see. Um, I'm seeing comments. I think besides O-line, definitely some wasted talent. Uh, Mario focused on four stars and turned them into five stars. His developmental process is great. That's from No Quarter Tie. Um, Tony is saying Mario wasn't good at developing talent. Drew also wasn't great with his defensive talent. They couldn't get the plays in. No quarterback development either. So I want to stick there on the on Deruder for a little bit because it sounds like he's going to be going to uh, Texas Tech, like I talked about earlier. I don't know how it's really hard to to evaluate Deruder's success this year because I think that there were obviously some some pretty questionable um, play calls, you know, from from a, a scheme standpoint throughout the year. But this Oregon team was only fully healthy for one half of a game this entire year. So it, it makes it hard to to see what the what would the Oregon offense have looked sorry the Oregon defense excuse me what would the defense have looked like if everybody was healthy if if KT doesn't get hurt in that first game against Fresno State if Flo doesn't get hurt in that first game against Fresno State um, you know and then they they were both absent against uh, Ohio State you know would Oregon have been able to win that game by a significant margin if they had Flo and and KT and Drew Mathis. I mean, I feel like he's another guy. And then Bennett Williams and then Steve Stevens hasn't played for a long time. Um, Keith Brown was dinged up. Keon where Hudson was dinged up, you know, the, the list goes on. Right. So I feel like even though I would agree that, that DeRuiter hasn't been overly impressive uh, this season as a defensive coordinator, it, it's really hard to evaluate because the, that defense was just getting absolutely destroyed with, with injuries all year. Uh, Nick Aliotti coming out of retirement is what Justin Justin's question didn't I think I saw wasn't there like a petition somewhere um, that that was basically asking for um, for these for uh, Aliotti to to coach in the Alamo Bowl um, because uh, Bob Stoops is, is coaching for Oklahoma I think that that would be funny to uh, to bring him back maybe someone can check on that and then let me know if I'm right there. Eric says he developed talent well on the O and O line and D line. He underutilized all of our offensive weapons and played too conservative. Yeah, I, I agree with pretty much all of those points. I think for, for the defensive line talent, it's uh, development. I should say rather, I think that you have, you know, you essentially, you have uh KT obviously, um, but you know, he, he was a stud as a freshman. So I feel like as long as he kept playing and, and, you know, winning these one-on-one battles with some of the top offensive linemen, you knew kind of where he was heading. But overall, as a defensive line, I think that that's one of the biggest focuses for, um, you know, looking forward in the program and maybe areas of concern, if you want to call it that, right? Because um, when KT leaves, who's the next pass rusher? Who's the next pass rusher on this Oregon team that you feel confident can get consistent pressure on the quarterback going into next season? Brandon Dorless? Brandon Doris is a dude for sure, but but he's shown flashes, and I feel like he's not he's not as consistent as as you'd hope he would be. Um, but he's obviously a phenomenal player. Another reason that the Ducks need to get back into Florida. I feel like I've tweeted that so much. KT to a degree, you know, he obviously showed flashes, and he's a, a bona fide stud. But 
I, I feel like there's an argument to be made for, for his effectiveness being kind of uh, on and off right now. And I think that part of that is, is why is part of the reason you're seeing Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan pick, picking up so much steam to be the top overall draft pick. And let me be perfectly clear. I have nothing against KT. He is a phenomenal talent, but um, I think, and part of that, part of his uh, being streaky at times can be attributed to, you know, schools, teams, opponents, I should say, scheming around him. You know, you talk about Utah using two, sometimes three tight ends and, and their uh, sets, and it makes it really hard for, for them to, for him to, to get some pressure. But I do think that one of the biggest areas that he improved on this year was his run defense. And I really admire him for that because he was constantly, you know, saying whenever there was so much hype this whole season, you know, talking to, talking to him at press conferences and it was basically just saying, Hey, you're really, really good. You know, what do you, what are you looking to improve on? You know, what, what else, where's the area to grow? And I think that I always admired that because he's like, you know, there's little things I can tweak and, and he's become a really, really good uh, run defender as well. So I think that, um, that that's a, a big, uh, big shout out to him for that. But yeah, uh, Mario played conservative. I just, you got to think about his mentality. He, he's a, an offensive lineman. He wants to win at the point of attack. He wanted to recruit guys that are bigger. Uh, he brought, I mean, look at these kind of linemen that are on Oregon's roster right now. Oregon has the biggest bodies in the entire Pac-12 um, on both sides of the ball. You know, even, I mean, Utah had some pretty big guys on the deep, on the offensive line, but if you just look at Oregon at the line of scrimmage and you line them up next to all the other teams in the Pac-12, Oregon's going to be bigger than every one of them from from top to bottom. Not no question in my mind. So I think it's good from that degree, you know, at that part. But Mario loves that inside zone, man. He, he's and and I think that that goes back to what we were saying with with Moorhead's offense looking pretty dry at times and I think that it's pretty evident that that Mario was putting his foot down and and saying that we're gonna run the ball and I don't care what anybody has to say you know that's that's what we're gonna see so it's tough it's tough um let's see I'm getting a lot of comments in here so um let me let me see here. Yeah, Dorless and Funa are definitely um, are definitely big names. Eric San. What about Moss? Yeah, Cyrus Moss is without a doubt the the biggest recruit right now. That's that's still kind of uh, within swinging distance for Oregon. But if you're just looking at it right now, I feel like you know you have uh, obviously Oregon, uh, Arizona State, Alabama was in the picture, but um, it looks like he's going to be um, looks like he's going to be visiting USC for for his final trip before um before everything uh before he ultimately makes his decision and then he's gonna so his decision um as far as when that's happening it's gonna be uh in the early signing period during the early signing period he's gonna go public but usc has a ton of steam usc is looking real good for for cyrus moss you talk about them getting in home before oregon did that's another disadvantage that they had because they were in the Pac-12 championship game. You see all these other teams that are going out on their trail, seeing all these recruits, and um, they, they definitely um, did themselves a huge favor by getting in home with him and and selling them on their vision and, and how they're going to turn the culture around. Um, so I'm, I'm going to hopefully talk to him after that uh, official visit. But but now with with uh, Oregon losing Cristobal and, and all these other staffers, um, you know, looking like they could be on their way out. Um, you know, Miraballs, uh, it looks like he's obviously going to be joining Mario over there. He was a huge recruiter. And I think that's something that you have to look at when you're looking at this whole situation with Oregon and, and recruiting. You know, Mario was a guy who took the reins and took the lead recruiting so many guys, right, that you will not find another head coach in the country that's going to work as hard on the recruiting trail uh, as Mario. Maybe, maybe Saban and Lincoln Riley and Kirby Smart. Those are some of the names that come to mind. But the good thing, too, is when I talked to a lot of these guys when Mario was here, he was saying, you know, or they were saying, I should say, these recruits were saying, yeah, I'm hearing from Mario. I'm also talking to to Big Joe. I'm talking to Moorhead. I'm talking to McClendon and Ken Wilson. You know, this staff did a really good job holistically, um, if that's the right word to use in this situation, of recruiting guys uh, as a staff. So that's why if I'm Oregon, I'm hopefully going to try to hang on to some of these guys. But it just really depends on, on what happens with, um, the head coach and then staying on Moss uh, comment here from Los Rages Raider. Um, maybe he's a, maybe, are you out there in Vegas? Who knows? Uh, I'm, Cause 
uh, Moss is a Vegas guy, so I think that's pretty cool if you're if you're out there. Um, I haven't gotten to see see Cyrus in person, but that'd be really cool. Moss would need a, a year to learn the position and gain twenty to twenty five pounds. He's raw. That's a really good point. I mean, he's a six five guy, but I think he's two fifteen right now. Uh, I think KT got up to two fifty, and he's he's in that six five range too. So. I will say that they really he really likes the the vision that they have for him as far as the KT pitch, you know, coming in to replace Kayvon um, and and be the next uh, big edge rusher at Oregon. I think that's really big, but I agree. He, he is kind of raw, but he does have some versatility, um, seeing that he's played both the defensive end and the linebacker position. But just looking at him and the needs on this roster, I think you definitely want to get him in if he if they're able to land him and uh, get him playing um, playing in that uh, – you know, edge rusher rule, put flow on the edge. That, that could be interesting. Um, let's see here. Um, what other, what other questions do I have here? We're already almost at an hour. So, um, we're, we're flowing for sure. My jaw feels a little sore. I wonder if it's just because I've been talking so much lately. <laughs> it is, a. Uh, it's a rainy day here in Eugene. I wonder, it was kind of funny when, when Mario left, it was uh, pouring rain in Eugene. And then yesterday it was pretty sunny. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. Let's see. Christopher's question. Thanks for the question, Christopher. Getting tongue tied here. Kalani Sataki or Dave Aranda? I go with Dave Aranda, especially because you got to take into account that Dave Aranda has California ties and that's going to be huge. Um, it's, you know, because I think with with Dave Aranda to a degree, you kind of get the longevity and potentially the um, you know, the splash hire, right? You know, he's a guy who has championship uh, roots from his time at uh, at LSU, and then because he's from California, you hope that he would uh, not be drawn away to some some bigger jobs. So I think that um, that he's the more the the more attractive name right now, but I feel like with Sataki, there's definitely got to be some interest there, um, just from a fan perspective because of how they did against the Pac-12. But, but let's take a step back. How did the Pac-12 look as a whole this year? I feel like that can maybe take away a little bit of the the steam, you know, and how much how you weigh or evaluate the uh, the BYU season and and their success against the Pac-12. Um, let's see here. Vincent said, I can get this up here. Vincent said, Mario understands to win a championship. You have to be able to play physical with the SEC teams. Totally agree. Totally, totally agree. And I think that that's a good thing that we saw during his time at Oregon is, is that, uh, is that they're able to, they can compete now at, at the line of scrimmage. I mean, before Mario got here, do you think that Oregon could have competed and won the line of scrimmage with Ohio state? I feel like I'm asking these questions, but no one's able to talk to me because of the format of the live, but you get my point. I don't think they would be able to win at the line of scrimmage if, if they didn't have uh, the players that Mario convert, uh, recruited here, um, I should say. Um, and, and I think that that's been a big blessing because not only do you have those guys on the roster, but you see how how impactful that can be. And then look at Sir Mills. I mean, he, he's a, a still kind of a West coast guy recruited um, to come to Oregon and he's committed in the class of 2022. And um, he's sounding like he's probably going to stay on board just based off of what, um, you know, what he's tweeting. That's a six foot five, 327 pound defensive lineman. Like those, those are the guys that you do not see out West. I think that if Mario is not here, then who's to say he's not going out to the sec. He's from Florida originally. So I think that that um you know help helps kind of clear that picture up, but he's going to be really big for this uh, Oregon team to have. Uh, Jason Jones, you talk about another big body. He he's played really good football. I feel like uh, towards the end of the season here, you look at that Oregon State game is kind of what I think about, um and kind of what what he was able to do there, blowing up uh, the line of scrimmage. He got his first sack. I think it was in that Washington State game. So he's one of those names that I'm really excited about. If you have Let's see. I'm trying to think about next year's defensive line. You know, you have Brandon Dorless. I think Popo would come back. Um, is what I'm is what I'm thinking right now. But maybe I have to mull that one over a little bit more. And then you have Keon Ware Hudson, who, who's shown really good flashes at times. Um, Jason Jones, who's slimmed down a lot and, and has uh, received a lot of praise from the staff for that um, because he he came in just super 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 heavy. 
but he's been doing a great job uh, since he's been at Oregon. And I think he's one of the the guys that's really primed to be a steady contributor on that defensive line. And then Christian Williams, Christian Williams got some, some decent reps uh, when Keon got hurt towards the uh, end of the regular season. And I think he showed flashes of, of being a pretty promising guy. So that defensive line talent still isn't there compared to where the offensive line talent is at my point. Um, I think that, I think, yeah. So yeah, we're hearing some, some more uh, Jason Jones, uh, you know, praise here. And, and I think he's someone that uh, is really, really uh, someone to be excited. About. Internet is, I, I think we're back. Sorry about that, folks. My internet has been super untrustworthy lately. Here we go. Now my question is showing up. So sorry if that's super delayed. Reaper Ray uh, asks, "What about Joe Brady? Uh, he's been a name that that were uh, that is you know definitely all over uh, Oregon Twitter right now. But I think there was also rumors that he was um, All right, my Wi-Fi is uh, is really not doing me any favors here, so um, I think I probably need to wrap it up here uh, in the, pretty soon. So I'll finish answering this question. Um, but yeah, Joe, Joe Brady, he's he's. Uh, I think it's good that he has that NFL uh, experience, and I feel like he was probably just fired by the Panthers, you know, by rule because you know, you kind of want to, you see that happen all the time, right? You know, head coaches fire their, their coordinators or their, their assistants to, to kind of save face and maybe buy themselves a little bit more time. So I think that uh, Joe Brady would definitely be uh, a cool name, someone that, that would drum up a lot of excitement and, and that people would be excited about. Um, so but I just don't know how realistic he is. And, you know, look at a guy who, who, um, who you want to have him, be someone who's from from closer uh, to Eugene, right? And uh, and he's another Florida guy, so I don't. It just stinks because I feel like these past two hires have kind of showed Oregon that they need to shrink their pool a little bit as far as geographically um, to to have some of that long term sustainable success. So I think Joe Brady would be an exciting hire, but I just don't know how realistic he is right now. But I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap up here. You know, if you guys are watching. Uh, on the on the live stream right now on uh, youtube.com slash Oregon football max Taurus I'm trying to get that that uh, custom custom URL if you guys are watching go ahead and subscribe to the channel please and go ahead and hit that notification bell so that you don't miss any future live streams um, these are a lot of fun and, and if you can subscribe to the channel it, it helps me tremendously and it only takes a couple couple seconds out of your day but um, I'm also thinking about doing a, a Twitter spaces later tonight like I mentioned so if you want to find me on Twitter, go ahead and uh, follow me. Oh, I'm over here. Follow me at uh, mTaurus Sports right there on Twitter. Um, sometimes I, I I ramble there and, and throw my thoughts out there. Um, and uh, I usually announce when I'm doing these live streams and I post podcasts and everything over there. And and go on over to DucksDigest.com, si.com slash college slash Oregon. We're pumping out tons of content. Uh, you don't want to miss it, especially with the early signing period coming up uh, next week. Um, you know, like I said, recruiting is definitely fun. So I like to check that out, but thank you guys so much for, uh, watching, go ahead and give us a five-star review on uh, Apple podcasts. And you can also find us on Spotify, but thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the ducks dish podcast. We will see you in the next episode and I hope everyone's having an awesome week. Take care.